Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly Podcast. Lots and lots planned for this show. We've got an extensive look at the opening rounds of the 2021 County Championship. A look at how it's going in the IPL, where RCB have raced off to a perfect start. And a look at the new issue of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, which includes Phil's wide-ranging interview with Essex and England's Dan Lawrence. To get through all that and more is former England batsman Mark Butcher, managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner, and the editor-in-chief of Wisdom Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker. Um, first off, Phil, welcome back. It's been a while. It feels great to be back, truly. Wonderful. It's, it's an emotional experience. I, th- I thought I'd been left at the b- bottom of the queue, you know. No, not uh, at but, all. But not now all. I feel back, I feel part of the team. Wonderful. Um, because you'll no doubt bring it up at some point in the episode, you, you've been in the walls as well. Well, yeah, because normally I'd be I'd be playing by now, wouldn't I? I'd be certainly in the nets, but no, I have a broken wrist, thanks to Vidushan Hunter Raja. He's a fine writer. Um, and a rather clumsy centre-back, and he did me in a five-a-side two weeks ago. I'm pretty sure he got the ball. Yeah, he got some of the ball. He got a lot of the man. Um, he's yet to apologise or even con- uh, pretend to, to give a toss about, about the fact that I've been casted up uh, for the last two so weeks. Why, why no. would you apologise? I mean, you know... Yeah, I guess so. Unforgiving. In fairness, Mark, you weren't there. Okay, <laughs> uh, it was a nasty tackle. We're, First day we're, back. We're talking about the IPL. None of us are there either. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, and also, before we get going, a special hello to to C. Grecian, our very kind listener in Vietnam, who left a nice review after last week's show. Um, How many stars? Five star. And he also picked out your analysis of the recreational game, not the Lovely. professional game, the recreational game. That's when I come game, alive. Good. Exactly, exactly. Um, anyway, the county championship, we're two rounds in. It's been a fun start to the season. Um, I've picked my team the first two rounds um, and we'll kind of go from there a little bit. Uh, there are a few players in there who you might not have heard of. Uh, there are some good stories in there um, and some England interest as well. So I've gone for Adam Lythe, uh, Sussex's Tom Haynes, James Bracey at Gloucester, 
uh, Durham's David Beddingham, Glamorgan's Kieran Carlson, Ben Folks, Derbyshire's Matt Critchley, uh, Ryan Higgins, Simon Harmer, Ollie Robinson, who took a nine for this week against Glamorgan, and Muhammad Abbas. Uh, Phil, in the new magazine, we all picked out our bolters for the test summer. You picked James Bracey before this week's round of fixtures, so you must be that? feeling fairly smug right now. Yeah, well, broken clocks and all that. Um, I, I saw him... I watched that two-day game last year, the inter-squad game, just after lockdown when England had got everyone who's kind of vaguely in the shot window together, 50-odd players, it seemed like, for a couple of weeks. He made a very, very good 85 opening the batting against, obviously, a test-class attack. And all right, it was a trial game and so on. But people were playing for their places there, and, and there was a definite edge to that, that game. And he batted really, really well, I thought, against Anderson in particular. He's good against the short ball as well, against the quicks. Uh, and I think that innings propelled him into the winter tours. Now, he didn't really get a sniff, I don't think, of making a debut uh, this winter. But they like what they see with Bracey. Um, he can and has opened the batting effectively. He's bat- he batted three last week uh, against Somerset, obviously in a big local derby against one of the top two or three sides in the country. And he strummed a beautiful 100 and then an unbeaten 80-odd, I think it was, in the second innings. Now... To 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 double up is impressive, I think, especially in a high-pressure game like that. Um, he's very articulate. He's very, very level-headed. Um, he's, his story is an interesting one. You interviewed him a couple of years ago as well. He's, he's not come through the straightforward so-called talent pathway route, uh, but he's he's got to the top of the glossary order, and they're obviously, you know, they're, they're riding a bit of a wave at the minute at glossary in four-day cricket. Uh, and a lot of it comes down to this this player. He's, he's also a very useful keeper as well. I mean, I don't think we, we need to concern ourselves with yeah. that. Yeah, exactly. Every young player is a keeper as well on the side. Yeah. Uh, but I like the way he sets up. He's a left-hander. As I say, he plays the quicks very well. And um, when you look to that first test squad, I guess there are one or two possible holes or possible openings in the top three, possibly, uh, especially with Sibley. You know, having possibly got a got an ongoing injury, I think he was able to bat in the second innings at, at, for Warwickshire last week. But again, one or two question marks against him and, and Rory Burns as well. You know, need to score, and I'm sure there's one around the corner. But if you are looking at that England side, um, there are one or two areas where uh, players can bolt through, and I think that Bracey is one to look look for. I mean, I'm feeling quite smug because I called this one up last week. He'll get a pair next week, and then we can talk about someone else. Yeah, but. People who follow the England test side would have heard of Bracey because he's been involved in a few squads now, uh, especially during COVID. Um, but people might not realise how out of the blue it was that he got picked in the first place, particularly in the Lions squad. I think um, his first class average was about 34, 35. He hadn't played that that's much. The, that's the new 50. That's true. Uh, he, he, only, he only had a couple Crawley. of seasons uh, in the Gloucester first team before he got that England Lions call up. Um that seems to kind of be the trend now that the England selectors seem to be picking players who might not necessarily have a, r- a huge record behind them, but they they pick uh, based on what they see well, with their eyes. Yeah, I mean, look, it's that's been the case since Fletch, really, hasn't it? I mean, the the often told story of Vaughan and Trescothic. Um and you know, part of that comes from having the talent spread so thinly over eighteen counties, and that you ha- that at any one moment in time, and this has been the case since I I started back in the early 90s, at any one time there are going to be tons of players in great form smacking out hundreds or taking fifers or whatever that, that might be. And so when it comes to selection, it, the selectors and coaches and hierarchy need to be able to spot something else. 
um, you know, form in in a in a first class summer in England is something that is that so many players have all at once. You need to be able to fight, figure out whether or not there is something else that will help them succeed at that level. So with Bobby Bracey, uh, James Bracey, they um, you know they've obviously spotted something in terms of his character and in terms of his his desire and his 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 work rate willingness to improve all of those things somebody that will, will make it in the, at the higher level and that's and that, that's basically that's basically the job of the selectors and the, and the guys who are running around doing the the uh, the spotting the scouting underneath the uh, the big two or the sort of slightly big one and the very short two do you, do you uh, what is it that selectors do you think are looking for in players who, who might not have that record is it is it the the, the attitude or is it uh, ability to play high high pace bowling or is well it i think you, you know you you kind of what you're looking for is the opposition and the type of game in which these players are successful. You know, is it a, is it a fourth innings run chase on a Bunsen? Is it you know playing against overseas quicks? Uh, you know, he might have had might have made no runs whatsoever against a, a nondescript attack on a green one somewhere, but against a, a test class attack, as, as Phil mentioned, that Bracey first impressed against um, on a flyer in a in a big in a big contest. Um, you know, all of those things need to go into the pot. It's not necessarily the numbers don't lie, but it isn't necessarily just the numbers that are that are going to get you um, that that extra recognition. And I guess second innings runs, fourth innings runs in this particular instance that they they don't well, count double, but they do count that little bit more. And and I think we'll come on to Dan Lawrence later, but he said that to me. He said thinking about what he needs to do to establish himself. He said, you know, first innings runs are good, but second innings runs is where you make your bacon. That's a, that's a well, do it, do quote it. And but that, I mean, that's interesting because because you could you could look at it the other way around and go, you know, it, if you're going to be a successful test side, you don't want to be playing catch up all the time. So making them in the first innings, make you know, putting the putting the strokes down on the on the page before anybody else has had a chance is also very important. You know, yeah, and Bracey um, did both in that game. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> and, he did, and he did both. But, um, but, and and also, back, if you're if you're gonna if you're gonna break in. And it doesn't matter where you end up in the test side. Anyone will tell you. I'll, I'll bat anywhere from one, one to six as long as I get that jumper. Um, you want to be doing it in the top three, four in county cricket. Yeah. Outside of that, you're, you're pushing your luck a little bit for test matches anyway. For, from a Gloucestershire point of view, it's a huge win. Two good wins to start the season. Uh, and the first win, I think you're saying, yeah, at Taunton for them since 1993. Uh, Is that yeah. right? Yeah, and like that's the kind of game that Somerset is. I mean, it's the kind of game that Essex did win this round. It's the kind of game Somerset have got used to winning, sort of close games, but they bat themselves to defend targets. So it does take something pretty special against that attack to go to go out and play with that kind of ease as well. He was kind of just strumming it around. It wasn't like a sort of a, a gritty fight towards the total. He kind of just like was like, okay, this is a small total. I'm good enough to do this, and went out and did that. Uh, so yeah, hugely impressive. Just very briefly, um, feather in the cap, I think, for the the conference system, which. I know is dividing the game, you know, and, and, and it almost down the middle, actually. And while Gloucester would have been a division, division one side this year, they obviously haven't been for a number of years, but to see them coming out two and two, two from two, that's significant, I think, in itself. And, and there are other examples, I think, through the game, so through the, the, the two games, two rounds of games. So Mate, far. I like it. I really do. Do you? Good, because I, really I like, do as well. For, for exactly, for the reason that in a, in a smaller group like that, it, <laughs> I know, I know that counties won't own up to this, but in the past, there have been, ever since the 18 all one division, and then when it down, went to two divisions, there have been certain clubs who have basically looked at the championship, ridden it off before it's even started. Not that bothered about getting promoted. Um, not that bothered about, um, you know, about trying to, uh, you know, to do anything other than hang in where they were. Okay, so that, that in itself means that 
all of the clubs in their six in their in their groups stand a pretty decent chance if they get off to a flying start of being involved in the shake-up of making their way into Division One by the end of it. And if you give people the incentive that is close by, you know, it's not a, a far-off um, pie-in-the-sky dream, then all of a sudden there is an incentive there to kind of go, hang on a second, we, we're not we're not just fobbing this one off and looking at the T20s. We're gonna we're gonna have a right red-hot go at this too. Um, and I and I really like it. I really do. Yeah, I echo that. It compels teams that have pushed this to one side. Uh, out of a sense of survival as much as anything else, with maybe an element of indifference there coming up on the on the rail, but it compels teams now to take it more seriously. And also, th- those teams on the so-called lower rungs of the county county model, a lot of these players, understandably so, for the last 10 years, have been looking over their shoulder, where else can I go? You know, if I have a good half a season for Leicester or Derby, then where's the move maybe at the end of the year? Well, if you can have a good year now for a Leicester and a Derby or a North Hants or a Gloucester, and you can you can make your mark on at test match grounds against first division in inverted commas teams that secures you to the club that brought you through in the first place and it, and it, and seeing these these players move around as we have done and the funneling of talent upwards so to speak i don't think we'll see that quite as much and i think that's a positive thing for all the clubs all the 18 if we believe in the 18 i think we've got to believe in this this system yeah and i think as well in the past that people have almost uh, not totally disregarded but haven't put as much attention on brilliant performances in division 2 uh, whereas now a lot if you if you go through the i know it's just a team i picked but uh, a lot of players who would have played in Division 2 for a while. So, um, you know, Glamorgan's Kieran Coulson's quite an interesting player. He's only 22, yeah. um, six first-class hundreds. Yeah. Um, Derbyshire's Matt Critchley currently averages 84 with a bat and 16 with the ball this season. I know there's only two games, but Taha spoke to him about an hour ago um, and he said a couple of interesting things. One, he doesn't think he would have played as many first-class games as he had. He's played 55, he's only 24 if he didn't bat. Um, mm. And also, he quite enjoys bowling in April because some balls turn, some others don't. And some people think it's because there's variations. And, he, and he's a wrist spinner. Yeah, he's a leggy. Here's, um, one, here's one for you, Mark. I'll give you half an hour to figure it out because I can't. Um, first first two weeks of the season, three English leg spinners have been playing. Crane, Parkinson, Critchley. Can you think of an occasion during your time in well, the first were, couple of weeks of the season? There weren't three. No. I mean, there were Sauls and, and that was pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, and, and Rash... Um, obviously, l- later on, um, but no, I mean it's incredible. I, the, the the difficult thing I was just talking to um, to Matt Thacker next door. Uh, you know, the, with the runs that have been scored around the place, yes, there have been. You know, Essex got bowled out for eighty, didn't they? Seventy nine, and then won the game anyway. But you have that combination of freezing cold and no rain. You, you've got concrete, haven't you? You've got you know you've got these hard pitches and the the leggies. If they can if they can keep their hands warm enough to wrap around it, they're going to be of, of use to teams. So um, it's been it's been great. It's been really interesting to see. Um, and I, as I said, I'm a fan. It also it also reduces the number of first class games. You know you're going to get what 14 tops, um, but it means everybody from the very beginning stands a pretty much an equal chance. And you will see. The likes of, you know, we've seen the likes of Gloucester turning over Surrey, turning over Somerset now. That, that those types of things will not, you know, will not be, um, will not be few and far between. And mm. it's, I'm all for it. All the while that we, you're not able to fill teams up with, with, these, with huge named overseas players. The more you can get of the, the 18 counties really ripping into each other in a, in a, in a smaller, shorter um, championship, the better it is for English cricket. I've also liked how some of the big name overseas players haven't just ripped it up from, from day one. Kimo Roach struggling here at the Oval, for example. It was, it was very flat, but still, you know, it's, it's quite yeah. nice seeing like um, 
some county players you, you want that experience Sam Evans getting his first county yeah. championship 100 for example against an attack with Kimo Roach in it is a good thing um, Ben one player I listed out Adam Lai it's been a long time since he played for England but he's he's um, really come out of the blocks uh, far in the start of the season yeah well 380 in two games and you start sort of twitching thinking is a thousand runs before the end of May possible I, mean, I wondered when the klaxon was going to go for the thousand runs yeah. <laughs> and I, I've, I've gone early Uh <laughs> Yeah, and, and but you know, and you, you, were you born the last time somebody did that, <laughs> uh, Jeff? Don't think so. No, I'll start on that, that Buckley that, thing. That I've heard about. <laughs> it. I can't have that. That, that would have been Hick, wouldn't it? Which is what in the uh, in the nineties, mm. in the eighties, eighty-eight, just before your time. Well, six years before my time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, but but yeah, no, lie li- li- is genuinely an interesting one because uh, it's very easy to group all those English openers that were tried. Uh, in test cricket together but actually if you look back it's not he I don't think you could say he was harshly treated because he couldn't get a run in that Asher series and he then didn't go and tear up counter cricket afterwards but firstly a lot of players who you know struggled score runs in an Asher series in England where you know you have players out there peaking brilliant quicks open the ball you know he scored more runs in that series I think than David Warner scored in 2019 and no one's questioning David Warner's pedigree as a test batsman uh and Adam Lyth, there was reason to believe he was possibly the most talented of all of those. I think Andrew Gale once said that he was more talented than Root and Bairstow, which is a... Uh, Bold. I mean, what say? Bold. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, and and they got that 100 against New Zealand against a properly like high-class attack, you know, Bolt and Saudi. Uh, that is a 100 that should make you not write a player of all together. You know, he's, he's, I think he's 35 now, so he is getting on which means it's kind of now or never. If he, if he continues on this form, then England are going to have like a real hard time sort of saying no to him. Uh, they they will say no. Yeah, yeah it's, it's gone now. But a good, a good player and yeah. maybe a victim of a bit too soon possibly, you know, a big Ashes series at home, swinging ball, a decent attack obviously. And yeah, I, I, he's always struck me as perhaps the most naturally talented of the, the, the Southpaw openers who were given a go you know, in that kind of post-Strauss era. Butch? Hmm. I think he's a good player, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, I, funnily enough, I think that he's prob- he's more loose than you would like a, a, an opening batsman to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you think of somebody like Marcus Trescothic, who obviously played his played his shots at the top of the order. However, he was in a he was in a box, wasn't he? You could put him in an alleyway and he would play straight and wait for the ball to be wide. Um, Lyth has a, had far too much of a tendency to sort of be going after huge drives of balls on the up, and you'd be thinking, "Well, I just you know I'm setting three gullies backward point, two slips, and hang it out there, and, and that that's what's going to happen." And I think, I mean, I, I hope he doesn't mind me saying we had, we had a chat actually. I, did, I spoke to him about about some drills, not necessarily about le- about leaving the ball, but some drills to kind of like to to not hit so many skimmers in the sort of in the gully yeah. point region, you know. Um, and you know something that he, he may or may not have taken on board I don't know but I just remember thinking at the time being really sort of positive about what I thought how, how good a player I thought he was but what I thought if he if he could just tweak this little thing don't lose any of the natural flair or the whatever he would make himself less easy to dismiss or sort of less likely to give to give his wicket away um, but unfortunately you know he, he, like I said he went back to Yorkshire and kind of then then didn't tear it up you know mm. didn't go back and say well I'm too good at this level I should be back there um, and, and, and unfortunately the, in the interim time his chances has gone mm. but uh, I, don't, I don't know I mean 
a lot would have to happen, but you have seen players get a first go at test cricket at a younger age, come back at this sort of age and then have, like, you could still have two or three years. 35? Well, Chris Rogers, what age would he have been when he came back in? You can have two or three years as a top class batsman at like at this sort of age I mean it's it's. I don't think it's completely well, out of the listen, question listen you're bit, protesting so. very well but I'm just saying it's not going to happen yeah fine, <laughs> fine I, I think <laughs> no I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying that the only reason that he shouldn't be picked is that he's, that he's too old but it really isn't we, helping him it's we, not we helping him added, at all we've added two years he's 33, oh, 33. Okay, the point does still yeah. stand I think I think it was one hell of a, a punt to imagine him making a, a second come in here but but, but I think there, there are spots open and I think that well I mean not that he has as good a chance as anyone. That's not that's not true. Uh, but if he if he does put together an unanswerable case, I don't think England can just completely. No, I mean what, what you think what, along so far, what you're thinking is is that if you're if you're going to pick a little bit like Michael Carberry was picked for that for the Ashes trip, right? Carberry's never played a Test match at home. Now you're talking about talented opening batsman. I mean he, you know, serious player, mm. serious player. Um, you know, had the, the, the wrong end of Mitchell Johnson and co on that, you know, that ill-fated Ashes trip and didn't disgrace himself by any means whatsoever and never, then never played again. Um, well, if you're going to take, if you're going to take somebody of that sort of experience on an Ashes trip, because that's basically what you're saying, saying we need, we'll take somebody that's got the experience, battle hardened to go out there and score runs in a, you know, top of the order in an Ashes series and hopefully bring us back the Ashes. Is Adam Lyde that guy? Are they going to make that, given, given the things I've just said about the way that he plays and given the sort of the dangers of, of that on, on bouncy tracks in Australia, it, again, it, I don't think the case is compelling. Um, and so, you know, he may well make a thousand runs before May, but I doubt very much we'll see him playing for England this winter. Yeah, that, that's fair. I think, I think the the only thing, the last thing I'd say is that if there was ever a time to pick someone just for a, an eight month or a 12 month stint on the test side, it would be now because England have like about as hard a 12 months. I mean, even it's good that injury, you can kind of imagine them having the two best sides in the world this summer and then away in Australia in the winter. Mm. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Phil, the, the game of the round was at Chelmsford. Uh, Essex Durham Essex bowled out for 96 in the opening day uh, and ended up still winning it you were there for a lot of it decent game of cricket yeah a belter and it's now coming up to a thousand days since they've been beaten in a four dayer at Chelmsford which speaks for itself Um, and you know it's a cliche but winning begets winning and I was in the box at one point and Keith Fletcher who's who's dressed these days like an extra out detectorist he looks absolutely marvellous he's in the back of the box with his packed lunch uh, and his deer stalker hat, and he said, "We'll win this. We'll win this." I think this was end of day two or heading towards the end of day two, yeah. um, and th- there was that sense throughout. I spoke to Tom Wesley actually this morning, and and he says once the wheel started to turn in the game, you sense there was this sort of unstoppable momentum, you know. And with with Harmer, obviously, who just took another routine ten for just like that. Uh, they they turned that one around. Uh, at one point, they I think Durham were ahead on first innings, one wicket down. So to to win it from that position statistically is 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 very very rare. Uh, but there is an air of inevitability around them, um, mm. and you know little bits to take from it. They have uh, a seam bowling attack, all homegrown that do the job. None of them are express quick. You, you know, if you're a first team club cricketer, you wouldn't be particularly concerned getting out there and yet they do the job week after week Sam Cook averages next to nothing for his three years as a as a new ball bowler demands that you play time after time after time I mean he's carved from from, from the, the the great sort of Mount Rushmore seamers of English cricket you know that that you, you don't suppose they're going to really scratch the surface of a test 
test cap, but that doesn't really matter. You know, they, they do an extraordinary job for their counties week after week. Jamie Porter's another one. Um, Harmer, I watched Harmer on the final, final day and the Saturday evening, and what strikes me, and look, I'm no expert at, of spin bowling to say the least, right? Not only does he have the biggest hands in England, and I include Ricky Clark in that, right? They are monstrous plates. Uh, but there is no discernible change in his action. Um, and yet the ball is either skidding on and hitting your back leg when you've, you're neither one thing nor the other, or it's looping there and it's never quite getting there, never quite getting there. But there is no discernible change. There's no change in, in arm speed or the torque in the action or the pivot. It's entirely identical. And yet you have no idea what's coming out from one to the other. Um, and, and, and once he gets on a roll, he's unstoppable. And as he said to me in that kind of blunt, kind of nice or, or rather appealing South African way, he says, the thing with English players, they either try and hit me for six or they defend for their lives and then I'll get them out. And he said that to me two years ago. He said, with the exception of James Vince and Gary Balance, he says they're the only two players in English cricket that he doesn't think he's going to get out any minute now. Yeah, worth mentioning Scott Borthwick's 100 that game, 100 yes. of the first 148. Yes. And also in the, in the Essex second innings, it wasn't just... Dan Lawrence, who we will talk about later in the show, but Paul Walter got 77 and then some low order resistance from Ben Allison and Sam Cook. Without that partnership, they, tall, they probably don't win that game. Tall, tall Paul, they call yeah, him. Yeah, six um, foot seven, former opening bowler. House DJ. Yeah, so yeah, he's six foot seven or eight and he bats five. I mean, su- sum up the, the eccentricities of county cricket right there. I mean, he should be a doorman. He shouldn't be a cricketer. He, he began as a bowling they, all rounder. They have a record of that, though, don't they? Well, yeah. Will Jefferson was at was yeah. Essex first of all, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. Something in the watermark, I yeah. think, down there. Um, Proper biggin. Yeah. You're but a bowler turned batsman, Phil from Essex. Indeed. All right. <laughs> uh, but he played, he played very responsibly, you know, and, and, and he got in behind it and kind yeah. of stonewalled it for a couple of hours and then it expanded a bit. Uh, it, they, it was just one of those get the job done type third innings really you know no one really stood I, out. I can tell you something about 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 that if you're playing in a if you're playing in a team whereby you know you know that if you get if you get a team behind even if it's only 150 come the fourth innings of a match it doesn't half make batting a lot easier even if you've stuffed it up in the first innings yeah i remember winning a game winning a game against hampshire at guildford of all places they 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 bowled us out for nothing in our first inning, second inning, there's a game, and, and we were we were in the dressing room going, "Go on, please make us follow on, make us follow on," because mm. we knew they wouldn't bowl us out again. Mm. We just, you know, we'd had an absolute shocker, just nicked everything, and kind of hadn't played very well. Sure enough, the knock comes on the door. We want you to bat again, and we all just looked at each other, went, "Right, okay." <laughs> Got four hundred and fifty, yeah. and bowled them out in the last sack lane, and saw bowled them out in the last inning. When you know, that is a shocking call with those two spinners in your team. That is a when you, when you know when you know that you have a bowling attack that can take wickets on anything, or yeah. the batters just know that all you have to do is give them a chance. Yeah, and so yeah. you know it doesn't. It makes that two hour fifty or whatever it is. It makes it worthwhile. It's not something you think. Well, I'm just wasting my time here. You know, no, what we're doing absolutely fine. We'll take as long as it takes to get us back in the game to get our noses back in front again. Harmer, Porter, and Co. Yeah. Will bowl them out. And the other thing I love about Harmer. Is there's a sort of there's a righteous indignation about him every time he takes a wicket. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's it's as though he spends his life opening opening fan mail or non fan mail with people saying you can't bowl your rubbish. Yeah. Because every time he gets a wicket, every time they get a win, he's like furious with the world. Like yeah, I told you, I showed you lot. That's a good um, shout. And it's um 
it's good fun to watch. It really is with his shirt hanging out, looking like you know they are, they do look like a club team, Essex. By yeah, the way. they do. They, they do. look like they've rolled Don't out. Don't play like one. They're all yeah. stubbing. They the drink fa- like one. Yeah. Stab, <laughs> stubbing their fags out on the boundary as they walk over the line. You know, but they're brilliant. I can they are very good. Now that was a, that was a uh, that was a metaphor, but if that is actually <laughs> happening, then all good. Uh, just uh, a brief uh, word yeah. on Durham. Um, good seam attack from what yes. I saw. Bryden Cast is a good bowler. Quick, I know, isn't he? You know the Lions have looked at him. He's six foot plenty again, South African born. Um, really good, repeatable action, high action, and wangs it down there. He took good fire for in the second innings, and also hurt himself, hurt his ankle, but but picked himself up and went again. I think he's he was he was he had a runner on the final day, so it, was, it wasn't just a little sprain; it was significant. But yeah, he showed a bit of ticker as well. Uh, I think. I think they'll be kicking themselves because they had two opportunities to to win these first two games, and as it is, they've they've drawn one and lost one now. Um, but yeah, it was impressive, mm. impressive, good to see. Not winless run in first class cricket extended this week. They lost an amazing game with Warwickshire. Warwickshire without uh, Dom Sibley for ninety five percent of the game, basically after he got his, his finger injured. They chased three hundred and thirty three on the final day against a Notts attack led by Stuart Broad, uh, Tim Bresnan. Top scored in the fourth innings with 68 not out. Runs for Sam Hayne, Matt Lamb and Ollie Stone too. Uh, Hampshire made it two wins from two as well. The highlight from that game was Mohamed Abbas's hat-trick in the first innings. Figures of six for 11 from 11 overs, which are pretty handy. Hundreds for Ian. Took him him 17 balls to get his five for in that innings. And and the hat-trick was the first three wickets as well. Yeah, yeah. and I think after about four overs, he still had like uh, more wickets taken than runs conceded. So he was a crazy spell. Ben, what's your moment of the week? Uh, well, my moment of the week is uh, Ollie Pope making a lovely double hundred and a lovely blue headband out of the oval. Uh, I mean, it's you know it's no great surprise to see him tearing up a, a modest-ish county attack on a, a flat, slow wicket. Uh, but it was sort of heartening to see because he's you know he's not had the easiest time recently. He's uh, you know struggled a bit in India and struggled a bit in in the bubble in general as well. He spoke nicely after the sort of like elatedly a little bit like tired and elatedly after the. Uh, after the double sort of said that uh, yeah it's it's very nice being able to just walk into the ground and get a coffee and you you miss that when you're, when you're not in the bubble it's like the small things as well as the the big things um, he also said that the uh, he kind of put the he, he thanked the, the headband for getting him to his double he said that when he uh, when he got out he, so he slept uh, on in the 90s overnight against West Indies last summer and the next morning didn't wear a headband having wear, worn it the previous day and then got out before reaching his 100. So today there was no way he wasn't going to wear his headband having gone to sleep again in the 90s, went on to make 200 and plenty. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but whatever gets you through the game, I <laughs> uh, But no, it, it was a lovely knock, lovely partnership between him and Jamie Smith, who are uh, like, t- yeah, t- two young players who both bat, bat aggressively, but not not too much and kind of look just very, very at ease at this level. And mm. Pipe too good for it, really. He now averages just under 75 for Surrey which is extraordinary. And uh, for all this, that he's, you know, not quite cracked test cricket fully yet, is like a hugely talented player. He like will. The, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. I, I, I've got a bit of sympathy for him in, in the winter as well. I mean, he got done twice in that questionable test match with the, the silly pink ball or whatever it is. And and he was done by a couple of Ashwin shooters that's, you know, almost taking taking pace from the pitch and so on. And and he was just starting to figure it out, I thought, in the final test and played nicely in that first innings for 30 or 40 odd and then got a, harshly done really caught off the back leg and looped to short leg through his legs kind of Chinese shot you know and and I I felt for him a bit really there is no question that he's going to score 
thousands and thousands of test match runs, right? A uh, quick word on Hassan Azad at Leicester. Mm. Um, he, he scored an unbeaten 144 on the last day to score a duel for Leicester. Um, he, he averages over 50 in the county championship for Leicester over over three seasons now. Um, and I know it was a very slow pitch because it was hard to come by, but I thought he looked really, really good. Um, played Kemal Roach well. Uh, Roach kind of got better as the game went on. Um, and also, um, he's, he's one of those players who is, is a very low strike rate, very watchful, but he's, he's, he can play as well. He's got really mm. nice cover drive, um, really leans into it. Um, and I guess he's one of the players we're talking about, Phil, as someone who might have agitated for a move uh, if in a two-division system, but in a in a conference system, what's, there's no need. Listen, no the, need. The, the other thing about, about all of this is, cricket is one of those games where sometimes you're only as good as the people you're playing against. You know, if you are, if you are a an opening batsman who leaves the ball outside off stump, who's you know, technically proficient, doesn't go out there looking to dominate and smash the ball all over the place. If you never come up against an attack where those sort of skills are of any use to you, i.e. you're supposed to be out there climbing into everything, how do you ever know? How do you ever know if, if, yeah. if, being, if, if you're good at being an opener? All of it, you go out there and play against the, you know, the Ambrose and Walsh or whatever it might be, and all of a sudden those skills are damn important. Mm. And you can find out whether you can do the job or not, right? And so, again, somebody like him is, is now going to have the chance to prove himself in front of proper opening bowling attacks, mm. which, again, you know, I'm, I'm not being disparaging of what he might have faced in, in Division 2 over the last couple of seasons. I'm not. All I'm saying is, is you're going to have the variety now to be able to prove whether you can play um, in the style that, uh, that the bowling that you're facing warrants. Yeah. Um, and by the looks of it, he can. I mean, objectively, he's just facing more international bowlers than you would in Division 2. There you have it. Um, there you have it. And that's in cricket is a game like that. You know, <laughs> I mean, somebody like, um, it's funny, Martin Bicknell was always a great example. Somebody that got people out for fun on flat decks here at the Oval. You know, proper, proper players, proper opening bats. He'd go back to club cricket for Guildford and they would just get, you know, just slog him into the road. They just would play, play with no respect whatsoever. So it works both ways, you know. Um, you know, the levels sometimes, sometimes you need to be playing at a level above where you've been in order to show that you're any good. Yeah. That's what I've been telling myself. Yeah. That's years. it. Well, it'll work for <laughs> Phil, for sure. Um, Phil, just, just a word on Azad. Yes. A shortish interview, uh, but a revealing and very stylishly constructed interview, actually, uh, in the upcoming magazine uh, by Joe Whiteley, who's a freelancer, and he's, he's very good, actually. And it was just uh, just a piece with Azad who documented his his ongoing struggles with mental health and mm-hmm. uh, first detected that things weren't quite right uh, when he was 15-year-old growing up in Pakistan. He came over soon after that. Fast forward the story 10 years, he was at Loughborough University and feeling as low as you can get, really, and he says that himself. And yet he went for a trial at Leicester around that time. And he says himself he was crying. He was crying in the nets, full-on crying in the nets. He says he... he, he it mattered not one whit what happened from one ball to the next. He says he wasn't present there. It was right in the midst of it. He says it was two days after an episode that, you know, that he didn't have to elaborate upon. Uh, but in in the, the midst of all of that, and he says there are large chunks that are just missing from those years. So he doesn't personally remember, but he played very well. Mm. And they kept an eye on him. And then fast forward a few more months and they were prepared to offer him her, a contract for the following year. And he's gone from there. He averages comfortably in the 40s, I think, as an opening bat. I mean, anyone to do that county cricket uh, is a good player. And and it's just, it's an interesting story. And it was very eloquently told and honestly told, I think. And of course, it taps into to a very real and present issue mm. for, for everybody. But, but, but county cricket has its own uh, 
challenges when it comes to, to issues of mental health as well. And for him to speak so openly and respectfully on that subject was was quite quite moving, actually. Um, yeah. And, sp- and it was a re- really recommended piece, actually. I spoke to him a couple of years ago. Um, he's a lovely guy, but also quite interesting story. I mean, when he played cricket in Pakistan, he was actually in the same Pakistan under-15 side as Babra Azam, right. who was his captain, which is uh, which is a handy teammate to have. Uh, and also, he, he said that he was part of the Loughborough University Quidditch team. Um, when he was another Quidditcher. Well. Oh, you say word. another, who, who else is there? Um, I'm sure... Oh yeah, Tom, Tom, Tom Wesley. Tom, Tom Wesley's done a whole module on Harry Potter at university. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, there, are, there is another Quidditcher though in county cricket. Look, let's just move on. <laughs> uh, Whatever uh, happened uh, to a game of snooker on a Friday <laughs> night. Um, and, and quickly, Phil, your moment of the week is from that sorry Leicester game. Yeah, look, t- terribly mawkish um, and sentimental, but I did an hour's chatting commentary with Mark Church up in the box at the Oval as the game meandered along in the background and we chatted about nothing of great consequence whatsoever and it was just nice it was nice to do so with an old pal admittedly there's a big perspex uh partition but it was it was lovely and um the, the game was playing out as, as as we spoke and we chatted about um the, the all-time greatest Surrey 11 which was in the magazine that I gave him at the time which compiled by your dad Mark and sp- spoke about you know the Laker lock enmity and Ram Prakash's freakish stats for Surrey and and what it would have been like to bolter the master Hobbs as well and, and we just sort of like ambled through a nice pub conversation with a game of cricket going on in the background and I just thought yeah we might we might have a chance this year I, you know? I, I enjoyed it was a nice thing I enjoyed the moment where you saw yourself on the big screen oh, yeah. with a camera right in your face Big um, Brother is watching that you was a, controlled that was, by John Surtees entertaining um my, my moment of the week is the matt parkinson ball of the 21st century mm. if you've not seen it and you think that's an exaggeration watch it and you'll agree with me uh it was is genuinely eerily similar to the to the worn to gatting delivery um i mean pitches miles outside leg stump and ends up hitting the top of off um ben you're speaking to him very soon so i guess you will hear all about it possibly on next week's show um, that was an amazing delivery. Um, some news from outside the first class game this week. India has been placed on the UK travel mm. red list this week. Yes. Ali Martin in his report in The Guardian writes, elite sports people and support staff have an exemption that allows them to travel to the UK from an otherwise banned red list country. However, that still requires a 10-day stay in a government-approved quarantine hotel upon arrival with no special dispensation to leave for training or to compete. The question now is to how this affects the England and New Zealand cricketers who are currently in the IPL and intend to fly in for the two-match test series that starts at Laws on June the 2nd, as well as India's arrival for the World Test Championship final against New Zealand in Southampton later that month. So we'll see how that story develops. And in South Africa, the seemingly never-ending CSA drama rumbles on in a report on ESPN Quick Info, Fadus Munda writes, South Africa's cricketers have apologised to sponsors and fans for the administrative upheaval that has led to the ministerial intervention into cricket South Africa. The national captains, Dean Elgar, Temba Bavuma and Dane van Neerkirk, along with the South Africa Cricketers Association, have signed a statement urging that the issues be resolved as quickly as possible. Uh, there is a threat of suspension from both the government and the ICC. More positively, Phil, there's a new magazine out this week. What's in it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Daniel Lawrence. Yeah. I went went down the day before the season began to to speak to him at Chelmsford at a socially distanced 
uh, obviously. Of course, of course. Um, halfway through the chat, Tom Wesley turned up, so we had a we had a, a good sort of three way conversation. That sort of made the article for me. Um, he did all my research by having played with him every day for the last four or five years. Uh, and Lawrence, look, he's obviously a fascinating batsman, um, endlessly watchable, uh, with a slight kind of air of danger. I think you know it could all go spectacularly wrong at any point, and yet. He also bats time as well. He's a peculiar combination. You know, he's not a dasher. He's not a blocker. He's somewhere in between. I guess that amounts to a good player. Um, but he's the way that he carries himself as well, you know, he's, you can't fake that kind of confidence. And, uh, and I've interviewed a thousand cricketers and Mark's played with a thousand cricketers when you know that they're faking. You know that it's a bit of bluff because it's a game riddled with self-doubt, as we all know. Uh, there is no self-doubt with this kid. Um, I asked him about the Australia Lions trip when he averaged 98 across all the formats. I said, were you surprised by how well you went? He said, no, no, not really. He said, you know, good tracks. I'd expect to get big runs. And he doesn't say that from a peacock-like perspective. You know, he says it because that's, that's how he sees it. And this is what I've heard about him since he was a 16-year-old. Um, John Child said to me, you can't fake that kind of confidence. Uh, one of the questions is whether he can marry all of that ability and confidence with the churn, the weekly churn, you know. And it was interesting that Wesley said at one point, do you remember, this is a quote, do you remember, Dan, when we were at Derby two or three years ago and you got to 80 and you got caught on the boundary after they put the field out? And then a week later against Treadwell, he hit him for six to get to 70 or 80-odd against Kent at Canterbury and did the same thing, caught on the boundary. And Lawrence and Wesley said, I don't see that happening now. I don't I see, you know, you got greedy, the pennies dropped. Well, two or three days ago, Lawrence played beautifully for 76. <laughs> and what did he do, Mark? Well, I'm <laughs> he guessing. was called a deep square. Yeah. He was called deep square after they put the man back. Absolutely lacerated a pull shot, but even so, the trap was set and he fell for it. Now, this is interesting with him because he has all of this ability. Can he marry it up with the you know the the, the smarts or the streetwiseness to re- that you need in order to to really crack it at the top top level i have a lot of hope and a lot of optimism that he will do um and if he does do it's a great um unusual development in english cricket because he comes from the backwoods of east london he doesn't come through the straightforward uh public school system which increasingly is is how english cricketers emerge at the top level uh and so if it were to happen then I think it's, 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 it's a great thing for the English game. Um, and I just truly hope that it does because he's one hell of a character. Mm. But listen to that. Do you think there is almost a danger when a young player has that much confidence when they come into, that, into international cricket? Or do you think that is a, a good thing? No, I think it's a great thing. I mean, look, the, the 70 he scored in his first test match innings in Sri Lanka was a, was a really good knock. Um, you know, Turner, Gould, just a regular turner in goal, you know, not not something where there were bits of uh, bits of pitch flying up into your eyes every time the ball landed. Um, and many an England player, myself included, would not have been able to do that their first outing in an England shirt. Uh, and he played quite beautifully. Found life a little bit tougher in India, as everybody did. Um, I think the difficulty at the minute is finding where he fits in and where he might fit in at the moment um, with Stokes at five and 
Pope at six, potentially at three. I suppose you could you could make that argument. I wouldn't, but well, whatever. So there isn't there isn't a sort of a gaping hole anyway in England's middle order that you you'd say right, Dan Lawrence, that's that's your spot. But he showed enough um, to sort of be on the on the very very short list. Should loss of form or fitness or whatever afflict any of the uh, the guys in that middle order um and and fair play to him you know i suppose the other thing is is what happens does he find a way in post post this t20 world cup does he find a way in of make of making a case for himself in the next world cup 50 over world cup cycle i asked him that's that. that's that's an interesting one because you know morgan probably won't make it to that world cup Mm-hmm. So there's going to be there's going to be a spot in the middle order there for somebody that can you know he bowls a little bit of filthy stuff can smack it out the park good field all of those things, yep. so you know the, he's another player that could could think to himself well hang on here's my route in here. Um, we we don't need to go down this road, but I did ask him that and he said well when am I next going to play a fifty over game? He's with London Spirit this this summer. Yeah, we talked about this before in the podcast. When when are Pope? Crawley and Lowe's going to play. Don't, don't get me started. Um, yeah. Don't get me started. Um, what, what else is the magazine? Uh, well, we have introduced a new dedicated county section where we run 18 stories a month, basically. Which that as ad story is part Which of. Which as ad is part of. Um, it's, it's swallowed up much of the magazine. So if county cricket isn't your thing, then maybe go and buy a contemporary tractor or something next to it <laughs> on W.A. Smith's, which is actually quite, quite a good magazine. Um, yeah, we thought now more than ever, we've got to nail our colours to that mast. Um, you know, we we believe in the model as it is. We we believe that county cricket is still the bedrock of the game. Um, and you've got to nurture it and protect it for all, for all it's worth. And so we're trying to reflect that a little bit more this summer, I think. And, and there are stories that emerge from county cricket that you don't always necessarily get a handle on, you know, um, and national coverage has been squeezed of county cricket, as we well know. So we're trying to we're trying to do that, really. Yeah, and it's eighteen fleshed out stories. It's not just you know they're they're, they're not yeah they're not nibs. Yeah, they're yeah. not news in briefy things. They're yeah. all hopefully relatively substantial pieces. Mm. Um, well, you can head to wisdom.com forward slash shop to get yourselves um, a copy. Also, I'm, I'm, I just want to bring Buckley in. He did write something rather beautiful actually about Anderson's uh, final spell at Trent Bridge twenty. 2013 yeah yeah when he yeah. bowled forever and ever and ever as england won one of the classic ashes test matches that's based that's almost been forgotten um, that was a, that was the test match wasn't it where broad was was a bleep bloke but brad had in nicked the final wicket to yes. the wicket keeper and stood there <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah that's right and everyone and england went utterly berserk at yeah. the end oh yeah great test match yeah, yeah. why did you choose that was, spell? It as, was it as good a piece of writing as lover you should have come over <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll answer I'll answer Yaz's question <laughs> um, so I mean firstly it kind of sums up what I like about James Anderson which is uh, the kind of how hard he's had to work for it all uh, rather than how good he is when everything is in his favour like I've always liked seeing him uh, sort of plough as far when it's been really hard going and he's uh, had to really struggle to keep the runs down and like you know get a fortuitous wicket here and there and he just uh bowled brilliant it was also uh sort of from a personal point of view uh my brother moved back home because of a bereavement so we kind of were updating each other on the test match as it was going on and that last day we kind of watched the whole day because it was a uh, you know the kind of morning that began it could have all been over in half an hour or it could have been a real classic and it was the latter uh and then anderson yeah he bowled because it wasn't just that he bowled sort of 12 overs on the bounce 
it was it didn't take a wicket until his seventh or eighth over uh, and then starts taking from there so you're thinking like if he's not taking a wicket you've got to you know give someone else a go because England didn't have a huge amount of runs to play with but he just would not <laughs> let go of the ball and then when he did uh, Finn and Swan I think both got a bit of tap and so he then had to come back again before lunch and then just after lunch to finally get that wicket and uh and the final moment is a great one, as, as Mark says, because it's sort of the best, one of the best instances of DRS adding to the drama, because it wasn't like a clear cut thing that there was like a definite spike or a definite uh, noise. So England was sort of waiting for that moment to come on the big screen. And so when it did, there was like a proper, like a genuine joyful reaction uh, that just added to it. It also fed that photo. I think it's Phil Brown, although it may not be. Uh, when they're all together, obviously they're in the huddle waiting for the decision and so you get that marvellous shot where it's, it's only photo. the 11 players together. Um, I think listeners might find it quite interesting that you got into cricket quite late for someone who works in cricket yeah. and that was one of your earlier... Yeah, 2011 was the first summer that I properly absorbed everything of. So yeah, I guess that was the, the first almost proper Ashes series so yeah. it was like a bit of build up and then it was because it was a, a weird test match it was a really good one you know you had been retired two uh, years <laughs> I, was thinking, I was already a weathered hack by 2011 <laughs> yeah. anyway this is a theme developing here yes uh, the, the, the IPL as we mentioned in the last few shows across the IPL we've partnered with Who Knows Wins a social sports game where mates families and colleagues pit their wits for real money and bragging rights um in week two last week phil and joe are tied on five points with three rounds to go two points behind the current leader at the moment in in, in with a sniff of, of claiming the pot um ben and i aren't doing great um week three if we do win it goes to charity yes incidentally yes, yes. yeah a bit of um, chance to shine action absolutely uh, and week three of the ipl by wisdom league begins on friday this week it is really good fun I'm it is good fun it is good fun, good fun. Um, and and this week the league is purely asking you to pick the winner of the games from Friday through to the following Thursday um, to take part in the league download who knows wins in the app store and head to the cricket section for your chance to win the pot this week the more people in the league the bigger the pot Phil you're mm. you're uh, audaciously going for Mumbai to beat Punjab on Friday <laughs> yeah I mean shock horror <laughs> Uh, serial winners against a team that invariably doesn't really get get very far. Um, uh, that's that's my obvious pick. So that's the Friday game. Mumbai yeah. to beat Punjab. Punjab got a lot of batsmen, but basically no bowlers and can give up anything. Um, Jai Richardson at seven as well. So, yeah, yeah. they've posted so far 106 for eight and 220 for two or something like that. So they're that kind of team. And Mumbai, they don't muck about, as we know. But the more interesting or the slightly less uninteresting uh, statement is KKR to beat Rajasthan the day after on the Saturday. And I've actually done my research on this. Do you want me to do it? Uh, yeah, go for it. KKR won four of the last five against Rajasthan. Um, Rajasthan, obviously, without Jofra, without Stokes, light with the ball. Um, and, uh, and Rajasthan have been wildly, woefully unreliable again, as as they were last year. Um uh, even the game that they won, they're, they're, they're two and one, two defeats, one, one win so far. Even the one that they won, six of the top seven batsmen didn't even get uh, to double figures. And the game that they did win, sorry, the game that they almost won, the game I mentioned earlier, the 220 versus 217 game against Punjab, it was a Samson one-man show. So their batsmen, and I include Butler in that, their batsmen aren't quite really clicking yet. Uh, and with obviously without Jofra, you'd say that they're there for the taking. So... 
Rajasthan to get beat by KKR and Mumbai to trample on Punjab. There you mm. go. I think it was when we were recording last week's show, Ben Stokes is ruled out of the rest of the IPLs. So that's a big blow to Rajasthan. He was also missing the England-New Zealand test series. Um, that's confirmed, right? So he's surgery, is that right? Yes, Stokes? 12 weeks. So 12 se- weeks. Yeah, serious injury. Lawrence um, is well in at five. <laughs> um, ben, at the time of recording RCB a three from three, you've been reasonably positive about their chances this season. And, it, and it's fair to say they've possibly surpassed uh, your expectations. Um, Harshal Patel's done very well. Um, they even opted against using four overseas slots in their most recent game, which is a bit of an alpha move. Yeah, well, that, especially for them, it's a hell of a statement, really, because they have been the team more than any other that sort of banked on a few big name overseas players and then just like not really caring who else they pick. And that <laughs> has not worked for them. Coley's so not even far. in Nick. Yeah, 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 <laughs> true. Yeah. And uh, and so for them to go against, to, to, to not pick one of their fourth, uh, what well, use one of their four slots is a... Uh, uh, quite a significant move in a way uh, yeah I sort of back them be- but with caveats saying that quite a lot needs to go right but if it does they've got a proper side and it kind of everything has gone right Glenn Maxwell is in some of the best IPL form he's ever been in uh, Siraj looks like he's come back from the uh, Australia tour just as like a properly good bowler in all formats now uh, which he w- wasn't always the most consistent in the IPL Harsha Patel yeah a real a real fine and AB Defini is just an absolute freak isn't he I mean that was a, an, an amazing innings yesterday and also just felt uh, complete or was it a couple of days ago? It just felt completely inevitable, basically, that he was gonna like that every ball was gonna go to the boundary. And it was a surprise when it didn't. Uh, so yeah, obviously nothing new. So he's an unbelievable player, but he's still sort of however old he is and just completely churning out. Led um, you to looking up some maybe Davilia stats, and you found one amazing one, which all twenty-five of his ODI hundreds had a strike rate of a hundred or more, which is just absurd. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's a player. Yeah, he's not bad, is he? Thirty-seven and still, still, still doing the business. Um, there have been a couple of remarkable low scoring games actually uh, a couple involving Sunrisers Hyderabad against RCB they were chasing 150 and were 96 for one after 13 overs and ended up falling six short against Mumbai they were chasing 151 were 67 for none after 7.1 overs Bairstow scoring 43 or 22 um, and they could only make 137 in the end Rahul Shahar continuing his excellent starts the competition with a cheap three for um, Butch if two middle order collapses in a row um when that happens once, is that kind of infectious, infectious in a team? When they, especially for a side that that historically has relied a lot on their openers doing it, the business, it can be for sure. Particularly when you look at um, Sunrisers Hyderabad, middle order is full of inexperienced Indian players. Um, so yeah, I mean that that can certainly happen. Um, their, their captain um, Warner was uh, was was quite. Upset, I think, at losing the uh, the one against Mumbai, and 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 let everybody know that in the uh, post match interviews. So, listen, I mean, they they they've got a pretty easy fix, haven't they? They'll have to leave out probably Majib, um, I would think, to get Kane Williamson in, and then you know you can replace one of the one of the youngsters in the middle order with somebody like Kedar Yadav, experienced player, bowls a bit of off spin, you know, so can make up make up perhaps of the overs that they're losing Majib but also then you put in one of the goats uh, in the middle order in Williamson and that should should sort things out for them um, but you know the the issue the issue is is that losing begets losing in the same way as winning begets yeah. winning so they'll hope they, that they need to uh, they need to make make uh, make good on that is it is they part of the double header tomorrow aren't they mm. against uh, a bit against Punjab so I mean that, that's a great 
good team to be playing when you're three from three. Yeah. Um, because, you know, they, they, they blow very, very, very cold uh, to sometimes hot themselves. So that's, that should be a great game in the doubleheader tomorrow. Mm. Um, Delhi last year's runners-up are two from three at the time of recording. Shikha Dolan has been very, very good and he has been for, for a long time in the IPL. Um, Prithvi Shaw's found form, as we mentioned last week. Um, ben, from an English perspective, I know we talked about Chris Wokes on last week's show. Um, he's done very well in the power play, not so well at the death, which is what he's done before. But um, he's, yeah, he's he kind of, he's, he's barely played T20 cricket in the last few years. You wrote a really good piece about how his case with England is might not have been aided by how he talks about himself in the media. Um which is quite interesting. Do you want to explain that? And yeah. quite interesting to hear what Butch thinks about that as well. Well, I kind of got the impression that he didn't hugely talk himself up. But I was surprised going back and looking through what he'd said, just how much he kind of talked himself down. Like it was in March last year. So when we still thought the T20 World Cup was going to be that year, they kind of said, you know, Eng- England know what I can do and it's going to take absolutely loads of injuries for me to be in with a shout. And then in December last year, he was talking about the T20 team entirely in the third person, sort of saying like, yeah, they're doing really good stuff, a bit like we were doing in the ODI, ODI World Cup. And it's like, there's there's no reason why you couldn't be in the mix for this team. And I know he hasn't played a lot of T20 cricket, but just like he's a a very skillful player who can do lots of things. And there's no reason why T20 cricket couldn't be one of them. One thing I would say about his IPL performance is he's developed sort of like a split fingered slower ball that he holds so with his fingers a bit wider that means that it's basically the exact same action but comes out a little bit slower, which must make it hard to pick. But the question I was wondering for for you, Butch, is how, how much do you think actually how a player sort of talks about themselves and how they're talked about in the media. Does that actually affect selection much, much at all? Or do you think England will go into it sort of with like dis- discarding basically everything they've read and just going on what they can see themselves? Um, yeah, but I think it, I think it, it can only harm you as an individual if you're not particularly vociferous in, in backing up your own ability in the, in the press. I'm not too sure about whether what the press writes makes it a huge amount of difference I mean sometimes believe it or not um, the media just tell the truth of what they see um, and, and they're right you know <laughs> that does happen doesn't it well, time, time. does happen yeah so you know and if uh, and any player worth his or her salt will kind of will ignore that and try to and try to put things right will be honest with themselves to know that yes there's an issue that needs addressing address it and get on with it you know and ignore it but when you've been captain in teams and and involved in management level and all of that senior players do you sometimes though find it hard to deal with certain characters who are let me rephrase that right are there certain players who um require more management and possibly end up playing a little bit more than they should or being given a longer leash than they should because they are high maintenance characters um and that the flip side also applies i i think okay so i i've come across some difficult characters um and and guys actually who you who you wish to spend a little bit more time on but can't because the other the other fellows are taking up all of your bandwidth Mm. now in a county dressing room very different from an international one you you can afford to look at it in in such a way as right okay the return what returns are, are we as a team getting from this difficult character if his difficulty is allied with match winning performances and and generally being very very good then you kind of you have to put up with it and you put other people you know you you give people it's your week this week you look after him or whatever yeah. it might be if on the other hand somebody is a, a, a potentially very, very good, but is also a massive pain in the backside and is kind of keeping the team or, or yourself as a captain from 
um, from being able to, to spend time on, on people that perhaps need, need the assistance more, mm. then you, you move them out of the way. I've always been interested by this. There's a sort of slight moral equivalence in, in cricket, and there is in life, obviously. But, but I remember around the Peterson thing, you know, was he, was he still so good that we could indulge it? That's why I made the caveat about a county dressing room. Very yeah. different for England. Right. England is not a club team. England's yeah. not a village side where you're playing with your mates and you want everything to be nice and, can't, and you know, everyone being friendly and having a beer out with each other. Sure. England's different. Yeah. If somebody is a whopping great big pain in the ass, but is also one of the best players in the world, you have to think very, very carefully about whether you're going to be harming your ch- team's chances of, of being a winning side or not by leaving him out. Yeah. And at the time, with Kevin Peterson, England harmed them. You know, the fallout from, from that 2014 Ashes series with Peterson and Cook and all the rest of it lasted lasted forever. Yeah. There are a lot of players, players we've mentioned in this, in this podcast, actually, um, you know, batsmen who fell by the wayside, um, ca- careers of people like Ian Bell, etc., who were all harmed by the fa- by that Peterson mm-hmm. Farago. And one of the things that okay, I, I never shared a dressing room with Kev, so I have nothing to say on that. You know, you hear what you hear, you make up your own mind. Um, but all I know is this: from watching it from the outside, Kevin Peterson made a lot of those players better mm. than they were. <laughs> you know, mm. having having the opposition worried about the bloke at the other end and not worried about you was very, very handy for the likes of Ian Bell and Jonathan Trott and guys yeah, like that. No I gar- guarantee you. Mm. I was new not what it was like playing with, with, with top players, batting with somebody like Graham Thorpe or whatever it might have been. Or seeing how um, you know a str- young Australian batsman came along with Ponting, etc. at the other end. You have guys like that in your team. It is wonderful for the rest of the batting lineup. Make no mistake. And so... I'm with you. I know what you're going to say. You're, you'll be very much of the opinion that Kevin Peterson should have been in that side. I don't give a, I don't give a stuff what he did, who he texted, who, mm. what his problem was. He was too good not to be in that team. And I, I agree with you. Do, yeah. you. do you think there's a chance, uh, I guess this is relevant to the, the current Alex Hales discussion, that if you have someone who doesn't quite fit in for whatever reason, who might have done things that the team doesn't like, didn't like in the past, that can impact the performances of the other players negatively? If they're in the team, yeah. I, th- I think we're getting to the, to the point whereby there may be a, a detente on, on Alex Hales. But don't forget, Alex Hales was not Kevin Peterson. Alex Hales was not undroppable. Alex Hales was not the greatest player that England have ever had when he did what he did in Bristol mm-hmm. when he then failed a, a drugs test. So again, the, the, the goalposts are in, in slightly different places. Now you could say Alex Hales is a terrific player. Why is he not in the England's, England's 2020 side? Um, and, and, you know, any problems, given exactly what I've just said about Kevin Peterson, any problems they have, they should overlook because it's more important that England win the 2020 World Cup. Issue. The issue is that Alex Hales, was, as, when, he was out, when he got left out of the side, was not somebody that was undroppable at the time. Wasn't the greatest player that England have ever had at the time. And he still has to prove to everybody, if he gets a second chance, which I'm sure he will do at some point, because if, they, if he lets them down again, he's gone forever and ever. I mean, he's, he's almost unbelievably lucky to get a chance this time, given that we were two, three months away from a World Cup that England had spent four years planning for when his latest indiscretion cost him his place in the side. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting this, without getting drawn too much on the Hales thing, I think people who haven't spent time in professional dressing rooms find it easier to feel sorry for him or feel that he's been harshly dealt with or, that, or feel that there is some kind of personal agenda against him. But when you've been in it, 
and you live in each other's pockets year day after day week after week year after year that's a different reality isn't it and 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 you're not the first ex-pro or current pro to say something similar to that and stokes as you say in his book unashamedly says well if he was if he'd been world-class run score a week after week then we'd have probably looked at it in a yeah. different way we talked about it before but i guess the argument is that in t20 cricket he actually might be cl- he's closer to that than he was for the odi stuff um, yeah and yeah, it's been so. and it's been two years um yeah. just just a, a full, full stop then you do think that he'll he'll play again for england do you well, i've heard that they've been speaking that right. morgan and hales have been speaking because right. you know uh, again I, I i remember when alistair cook took over as captain the pragmatic decision that Alistair Cook made to take KP on that tour of India. Alistair Cook, brand new captain of India. Who is our best player spend? Kevin Peterson. Am I going to leave him at home? Am I hell? Am I stupid? Of course I'm going to take him. So Alistair Cook went and spoke with Kevin and they made sure that everything was sorted and away they went and they pulled off one of the great England away wins of all time. So, you know, these guys aren't, nothing happens in a bubble. Nothing happens in in isolation, in a vacuum. Alex Hales will be looking at the T20 World Cup going, you know what, (laughs) we could perhaps do with a little bit of extra firepower. We've got got a whole batting lineup. Everybody wants to open the batting. We've got this bloke outside the team who wants to open the bat, et cetera, et cetera. Is there a way of making our winning the T20 World Cup more likely? And, you know, and, and you see, the interesting thing, again, with that is you go back to Joffre being picked late. That wasn't because he'd done anything wrong. It was just because England were getting into the run-up to the cup. Everything was pretty much in place, but they were missing an ingredient. And lots of people went, oh, no, but you can't bring him in now. What about, you know, the, the, the team, team spirit dynamic. and the... Uh-uh. Yeah. <laughs> you get up to, when you get up to the, to the edge of the tournament and it becomes all about winning that tournament, this isn't about being on the road together for four years. Win the tournament, you can make a pragmatic decision based on what might be best, what's required in order to pull off that particular task. And then if it happens, if you win, great, you know, everything's forgotten. If you lose, he goes back on the outside again. And I have no issue with that either. You know, that's, profes- that's professional sport. It's not nice. You get, le- you get left out, you get dumped, you get sacked, you, you disappear without a trace, having been brilliant beforehand. All of those things happen and it's all fair. It's all good in professional sport. Mm. Without, without naming any names, were there times in your career where you played with blokes you just didn't really get on yes. with? Yes. Yeah. Well, no, not that I didn't get on with, but I just thought were much more trouble than they were worth. Yeah. And again, I, I say it again, in a, in a county dressing room, where you are literally living with each other for that whole time, that becomes toxic. And mm. if the return, as I say, if the returns aren't, aren't Hobbes-esque, then you go, sorry, pal, off you pop. Is there not an argument that the, in international cricket now they spend so much time away from home that mm. it is almost like a club it, dynamic? Yeah, it is a little bit. It is a little bit. But again, you see... <sighs> the stakes are higher. But the stakes are higher and the, and the rewards are higher too. Mm. Now... Again, I don't know what the I don't know what the bonus structures are for winning Test series, winning One Day series, or whatever. But I'll wager they are a heck of a lot of money, hell of a lot of money. And so, if you've got some bloke in your side that's helping you win multiple Test match series year on year out, you kind of forgive them being a pain in the neck while you're away on the road. Mm. You've all got single rooms. You can all do what you. You've all got enough money to do what you want anyway. You just ignore the bloke. <laughs> you know, he wins you. But if he wins you a bunch of series, you're sticking that all that in the bank, and the kids can go to private school, and you, you know, you've you bought your house, etc. This is a, uh, a feature that we're going to do later this summer in the magazine. The worst atmosphere dressing rooms in history. Oh, really? That's really yeah. interesting. That's uh, really let's interesting. Have a chat after this show. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I was ever in one of those. No, but I, no, but no, I know, but I know a man who was. Yeah, <laughs> no, indeed. 
and yeah, yeah so many stories that you hear that over the years. Dirk yeah. Nallis used to write a column for All Out Cricket, which is like a precursor to Wisden and so on. And yeah. he wrote, he won the double out there in Australia, the, the, the 50 over and the, the shield. And he said the dressing rooms, Queensland dressing room, I think it was, was absolute hell. Day after day, people openly fighting um, physically as well as mentally. People having affairs with players' wives. The whole shebang, right? <laughs> he said it was wild. And yet they were unbeatable. And, and I, I'm interested by that because we hear lots of things about team unity and spirit. Well, that, that, that Australia team, the Australia team that I spent all of my career yeah, getting yeah. beaten by, you know, they, they had cliques and factions in that like you wouldn't believe people that didn't get on. Mm. But it didn't matter. They, they crossed the line and they beat you up. Mm. Um, you know, they were, playing for, they were playing for something bigger than, than themselves in, in wanting Australia to win test matches. And that's all that really matters. Um, so it's you know you do not you do not have to get on with the people you work with I mean you guys know that better than anyone well, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about it talking of which, talk, Ben has left the building but yeah if, if you're very Buckley-esque if, exit if, if, you're, if you're watching on YouTube Ben has left the room because he's speaking to Matt Markinson he ghosted which is, us which is fair that's, that's fair enough which that's is fair enough a, a, a chat we might hear on next week's show lovely um, I didn't expect us to get into that but that was that was good that was good good fun um, thanks boss yeah, uh, this has been the Wizard Cricket Weekly podcast. Cheers, Phil. Cheers, Butch. Cheers, Ben. Pleasure. Um, we'll be back next week. If you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button. Tell your friends. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network.